You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Randall Gilmore here. In this episode of The Seed of the Woman and the next, I'm going to share more about the use of number in Scripture and its ties to gematria. Now keep in mind that gematria is the name given to systems that substitute numbers for letters to calculate the value of words and combinations of words. And these values are intended to encode otherwise hidden meaning. So, for example, in Revelation 13, John indicates that 666 is the number of the name of the beast. In other words, substituting numbers for the letters in the name of the beast returns a numerical value of 666, or 666. Now, back in episode 7 of this season, I said that famed author and Bible commentator Henry Morris once explained that in light of a world population of 8 billion people, with about one in every 10,000 names containing letters adding up to 666, that it's impossible to judge who the beast might be based solely on the number of his name. And that's one of the reasons why I've stressed from the beginning the ties between 666 and the values of the beast's political, economic, and religious system as better indicators that his rise is imminent. Besides, if it were possible to know the identity of the beast now, It wouldn't surprise me to learn that the value of his given name is not 666. I'll explain why toward the end of this episode. But first, I want to illustrate how Gematria works. And I'll get started with that when I return on the other side of the break. The possibility of systematically substituting numbers for letters shouldn't come as a huge surprise to anyone. We're all very familiar with the system we call Roman numerals, where the letter I stands for one, the letter V for five, the letter X for 10, etc. It seems that many people long ago saw the value in their language, no pun intended, in not having a separate set of symbols to represent numbers. So in Latin, but also in Biblical Greek and Hebrew, people made the letters of their alphabets do double duty, as symbols of sounds used to form words, and as symbols of numbers. Now, there's a lot of speculation about exactly when these types of systems came into existence. The earliest historical evidence of gematria, aside from any found in the scriptures, comes from a Babylonian clay tablet dating back to the 8th century BC. The Greeks would have developed their system after that. And that's the system, according to some, that the Jews adopted to create their system. And though all this might explain John's use of gematria in Revelation 13, when he writes about 666 as the number of the name of the beast, it doesn't explain where the Babylonians in the 8th century BC got the idea, or the origin of examples of gematria we find in the Old Testament. Don't forget, the Torah dates back to the time of Moses, which is approximately 700 years earlier than the date of the Babylonian clay tablet I just mentioned. So now you're probably asking, What examples of gematria in the Old Testament? What are you talking about? 
Before I go there, I want to remind you that the mystery of 666 is anchored in the counter story to the true story of the seed of the woman. And I've described this counter story as a corruption of the truth. In fact, Satan has really ever had only one strategy behind his counter story, and that's to spin truth into a lie. And so he's taken what God's said, or what God's done, and recast it into something that supports the false narrative he's been telling from the start. And there's no better example of this than 666 and Gematria. And I say this because of the clear ties between Gematria and the actual true features of God's design and creation. We know that all of creation reflects the inscrutable depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So it isn't surprising that the ancients discovered certain features of God's design in creation, and that when they turned away from him, they began to repurpose those very same things in support of Satan's counter story. One modern example of this is the rainbow. The rainbow is a natural phenomenon designed by God to support the story of the seed of the woman. But the world, in their turning away from God, has very obviously repurposed the rainbow in support of their counter story. Now, other examples of the corruption are tied to the numbers that describe the movements of the sun and moon and stars across the heavens, as I detailed back in episode 13, but also to the study of geometry. The ancients, in fact, were very knowledgeable when it comes to geometry. This should be obvious on its face when we look at the things they built, whether it's the city Cain's son Enoch built in Genesis 4, or the ark that Noah built in Genesis 6 or the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, or outside of Scripture, the pyramids built in Giza. The ancients were engineers. They knew numbers, and they knew geometry. And in their study of these, they made some amazing discoveries. For example, they found ways to hone in on the value of pi as it relates to the circumference of a circle. And they made projections that led them to other geometric shapes, and to the ratios depicting the relationships of those shapes to each other and to their original circle. As time moved forward, the Babylonians and Greeks extended these discoveries to include identical ratios between notes within any given octave on the musical scale. In other words, the ratio between any note and its octave, or between that same note and its fourth within that octave, and then its fifth, well, these ratios were found to be exactly the same as those depicting the relationships of various shapes to that original circle. But with their backs turned away from God, and away from God's story of the seed of the woman, they repurposed these amazing insights into God's design to support Satan's counter story. And here's the thing. Then they used gematria to craft names of gods and demigods as a way of codifying the mystical power they attached to their myths. One stellar example of this involves the names of Apollo and Zeus and Hermes, so-called Greek gods that everyone's heard of. Their names were crafted by means of gematria to reflect a ratio of what is known as, quote, continued geometric proportion. Continued geometric proportion occurs when the ratio is the same from one number to the next in a given set of numbers. And in the Greek mind, one of the most important ratios of all involves the square root of three. The reason why, according to one expert, is because the Greeks deemed the square root of three to be one of the most important constants in natural geometry. 
Now stick with me here because I'm not intending to teach a math lesson, but I want you to know that the gematria value of the name Apollo is 1061, while the value of the name of Zeus is 612, and the name Hermes is 353. If you compare those values starting with 1061 compared to 612, followed by 612 compared to 353, you'll find a continued geometric portion based on the square root of 3. And if you continue making calculations, you'll also find the name Zeus in its gematria value of 612 also represents what's called the geometric mean between the name Apollo and the name Hermes. You can look it up and do the math if you're interested. Just remember that the ancients were very loose in their use of fractions. Sometimes they used them, sometimes they didn't. The standard of, quote, that's close enough, was, well, close enough. But the bottom line is, the evidence is indisputable. The names of certain pagan gods and goddesses were crafted to reflect desired gematria values. And there are so many examples of these kinds of calculations and paganisms, calculations rising out of properties tied to God's design in the world, but corrupted by pagans and their use of gematria to support a counter-story to the story of the seed of the woman. Now, all this is why I said at the beginning of this episode that if it were possible to know the identity of the beast out of the seed now, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that the value of his given name is not 666. In my opinion, there's sufficient reason to believe that when the beast out of the sea rises to power, he will intentionally adopt a name that he crafts to reflect the value of 666. He will take that number first to himself and then force it on everyone else. Now, I also referred earlier to examples of gematria in the Old Testament, and I'll get to those in due time. But the truth is there are examples in the New Testament too. The most obvious is John's reference to the number of the name of the beast. But another, not so obvious, involves the Greek word euporia. That's E-U-P-O-R-I-A. Euporia. And by the way, pardon my Indiana accent as I pronounce the word. The word euporia appears in the New Testament only once, in Acts 19.25. And it's translated by the English word wealth referring specifically to the wealth that the idol makers in Ephesus gained from their craft. The gematria value of the first letter in Euporia, which is the letter Epsilon, the value is 5. The next letter is Upsilon, with a value of 400. Next is the letter Pi, which has a value of 80. Next is Omicron, which has a value of 70. Omicron is followed by the letter Rho, which has a value of 100. Then comes the letter iota with a value of 10, and finally the letter alpha with a value of 1. So the letters that make up the word euporia reveal the values 5, 400, 80, 70, 100, 10, and 1. And added together, these numbers yield the sum 666. Now, as I say, euporia appears only once in the entire New Testament. It actually appears in other places, but only once in this form. And none of the other forms contain letters with values that add up to 666. It's only here, in Acts 19.25, where the word appears in a context of pagan practices tied to the same corruptions that I've shared throughout this podcast. Is it a coincidence? I'll leave it to you to decide what you think. But as for me, the intention is obvious. And I'm basing my conclusion not just on a feeling, but on deduction. 
deduction that's consistent with the inductive method of Bible study. And that leads to my mentioning four very important guidelines to follow by anyone who studies the use of gematria in Scripture. First, gematria doesn't have to be used everywhere in Scripture for it to be used at all. In other words, just because someone sees something significant in the gematria of a particular word, or a particular phrase, or a particular verse, doesn't mean that the gematria value of every word, or every phrase, or every verse has to express something significant. Second, the true meaning of any use of gematria, whether found in the scriptures or elsewhere, must be interpreted in connection to the plain and obvious biblical account of the seed of the woman. Third, as a corollary to this, the use of gematria in scripture calls out the pagan corruptions of it for what they are, corruptions through and through. Fourth, any study of the use of gematria in scripture must follow the rules of the inductive method of Bible study or risk falling into speculation and error. But what exactly does the inductive method of Bible study involve? And besides gematria, how does the inductive method of Bible study help us to understand other uses of numbers in the story of the seed of the woman? And what about those other Old Testament references? More next time on Seed of the Woman.